All right, the unsung hero of t- today, the MVP. I'm handing out an MV- MVP today, most valuable, most valuable player. It goes to Corin. Yeah. Corin, yeah. Corin was on the sideline, refing the game, uh, and so he was like a line judge. He was the first down marker. He was the line of scrimmage. He was, you know, and, and we got we got one call that was like. Was it a touchdown? And we all look over at Corn, and he's like, you know, and just kind of a shrug turned into a touchdown. So uh, that was amazing. And seriously, Corn, thanks for serving us and, and all your work behind the scenes, dude. You're, you're killing it. So awesome job. Um, this uh, tonight um, is our last uh, session together uh, that I'm here with you. And it's, it's been so fun to hang out with you guys. And I just think that, that what is happening here, and I, I hope you you catch the, the significance of this. This is, this is um, a miracle, what God is doing. I mean, like this thing, Saul Company just started and to see a group this size who are, who are like seeking God and saying, God, we, I, I want to know if you're real and I wanna know you. And, and you guys are, I've talked to a lot of you and at different places in your spiritual journey. Like what's happening here is not something that, um, that Drew is doing and uh, not something that Jordan is doing uh, or uh, Kaylee or Hannah or any, Isaac. It's, it's just like, this is the work of the Holy Spirit and, and God is doing something and it's just the beginning. And so this is like, I hope you feel the weight of like, or the joy of just like, this is cool and I'm a part of it. And so it's been an honor to, to be here and, and share with you guys. Um, so here's kind of what we've been talking about this weekend uh, from Ephesians. And, and although we've just been doing kind of a flyover of Ephesians and seeing some of the main themes, what we've been talking about is um, that, that church, this idea of church, is, it's about life together. It's this community. And the church is God's new society of people who are saved by grace, adopted in love, and tonight called to holiness. And we, we turn, a, there's a transition here. And so, so the first two messages were, remember we talked about the indicative statements, like uh, y- that you really don't have to do anything about. It's like God has just dumped grace on you. And really all you respond to that is just like, hold out your hands. Like if I bought you a brand new, I love the Tesla car, I just someday want a Tesla. If I was just to hand you uh, like, hey, I got you a gift. It's a Tesla for your birthday. And, and I hand you the keys, like, what do you do? You just hold out your hand and like, thank you, <laughs> right? That, that's essentially what Friday night was, last night. It was like, God's grace is amazing. He's given us this gift we don't deserve. And, and you know, you, you certainly don't pull out like your wallet and like, here, let me give you five bucks and try to pay you back. No, the precious blood of Christ, dude, you just, you just hold out your hands and receive it. And like, this is amazing. Thank you. And this morning was, you are loved, and you have no idea how much God loves you. There's nothing you can do about it, right? And, and that was, those are indicative statements. Those are the first three chapters of Ephesians. Um, you, just, you just receive it. And that's, you know, Christianity is not about what you're going to do for God. It's what he has done for you and, 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 and bringing Jesus to you. So you just receive it. But we hit chapter four, and all of a sudden, the, the verb tense has changed. Now it's imperative. Now it's a call to action. Okay, in light of this, knowing that this is what is true about you, here's what Monday morning is supposed to look like, right? Here's what this looks like in everyday life. This is, Christianity is about belief in action, lived out. And we get to chapter four in Ephesians, and Paul changes. He's like, as a prisoner of the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And you jump down to chapter 4, verse 24, and he says that you are to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And then you get to chapter 5, verse 1, and he says, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So do you see what, what, what Paul is saying here? He's saying, guys, 
you have a new identity. And your life now should reflect the new you. So I, when we first got to Iowa City, um, in, in, Iowa, in the Iowa City area, there's a Coralville, um, uh, uh, there's a, a correctional facility, a prison, and every prisoner in the, that, that goes through Iowa, every prisoner comes through uh, Oakdale Correctional Facility. And so um, I met this guy. His name's, uh, well, I'll give him a different name, Lonnie, okay? Lonnie. And, and Lonnie um, had just gotten out of prison after, or he was transitioning out of, uh, out of prison. And about 25 years ago, he committed murder. So he was, he was uh, in prison for murder. And, and uh, I was helping him transition into an apartment and back into society and so on. And we were hanging out in his apartment and I was helping him unpack his things. And he takes out this pair of jeans and it's like classic, like government issued jeans. You know, there's like no name brand. It's just like, just jeans, you know? <laughs> and they were kind of frumpy and just like you just looking at them new, like these are prison jeans. And, and he takes them out and he's like, I never want to wear these again. Can you take them away for me? And for me, that was just like a profound moment because he's saying, I'm free and I never want to live like a prisoner again. Can you take these? And here's what Paul is saying to us. A new identity requires new clothes. A new identity requires a new set of clothes. In chapter 4, verse 17, he says, So I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are separated, they are darkened in their understanding, he says, and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. We're going to unpack this because I think what we get into here is a little bit of the, uh, the psychology of, of pursuing holiness, this idea of how to go about pursuing this new life in Christ. And what he's saying is, he's like, guys, you are called to be holy. In chapter 5, verse 14, he says, he says um, in, this, in the last section of chapter 5, he says that, that you guys are now light in the Lord. Live as children of light. Like that's, that's who you are. You're meant to reflect the light of God so that when people see you, they see a reflection of God lived out in your life. And it's interesting in chapter 5, this idea of, of darkness and light, and now you're light in the Lord. Like, if you think about it, every object in the world is dark. It's just light that reflects, you know, a dark object, the light hits it, and boom, all of a sudden it looks like it's lit up. But it's really just a reflection of light. And so, and so it is, I mean, when you look at the moon, you're like, dang, look at that big light in the sky. It's just reflecting the light of the sun. And he's saying... The light of Christ has, sh has shined on your life. And now, boom, you're supposed to be a reflection of, of God to people. Okay, so new identity requires new clothes. This is who you are now. And he says, so I tell you this, it's just not, you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. So here's, here's what you need to remember is, um, oh, well, how did the Gentiles live if we're not supposed to live that way? Well, here's in his city, in Ephesus, there was a temple, and it's the temple Artemis is actually one of the seven wonders of the world. And this uh, this temple uh, was was a place where uh, it was. I think Artemis had something to do with uh, fertility, like some kind of goddess of of sex, fertility, that type of thing. So um, there were temple prostitutes. Um, it was actually the whole economy of the 
city was built around, this, around Artemis, and it was right on the shore. And so as people would come up uh, to the shore uh, of the coast of Ephesus in Turkey, you would see this huge, huge temple, uh, this shrine for Artemis. And so the whole system of thought in Ephesian culture was based around this idolatry and sexual immorality related to the temple of Artemis. And he's, what Paul says is it's empty and it's dark. It's empty. And he says, and, and he kind of gets into this, this old life. And, and so we're just going to unpack this just a little bit. So, so I want to talk to you about what the old clothes look like that you're supposed to put off. Because you're saying, if I don't, I, I don't want to wear these prison jeans, that's not who I am. Well, what do those look like? What am I putting off? And what am I putting on? That's what we're going to talk about. The first thing that you need to put off with those old prison clothes are lies you believed. You got to put off the lies you believed. Before you knew Jesus, there's like a set of thoughts that you had about life. And he's saying those thoughts were dark, he says in verse 18. Darkened in their understanding. Verse 22, he talks about deceitful desires. Uh, they, they feel right. Like the desires feel like they're going to give you life. But they end up leading to death. This is so interesting because I, I think in your culture, in our culture, especially with your generation, the lie of your culture is that your desires define your identity. Kind of what we talked about with, with my friend that was struggling in uh, with his own desires. Like, your desires define who you are. And like, you get to kind of go through this process of like self-actualization where you kind of define who you are. And so, I was a, my, my son is, he got into these skill toys, and he actually got into this, uh, it's like an ancient skill toy called Beglery, and, and there's this toy company that, um, um, that made this uh, kind of a, a copy of it. And it's, uh, it's, it's got like two balls, zing toys, thumb chucks, they call it. And, and I got this call. This guy said, hey, uh, I want your son to come out to the YouTube convention in L.A. We have a booth. I need him to demo our toy. I don't know if you know. He, and I'm like, my son. He's like, yeah, he's like the best in the world at this skill toy. And I was like, sweet, I'll come. So we we actually, they flew him to New York City and then, and then L.A. And so I'm like at the, this VidCon convention, at the YouTube convention, and, and I'm just hanging out. It's like me and about, I don't know, 50,000 13-year-old girls. And, you know, like all the, all the YouTube stars are there and all of the people that are famous to like the preteens. And, and I mean, I'm sure you guys would know who they are and whatever else. But I'm like, I'm, this is like an eye-opening experience for me because I'm like, just standing at this booth and all of a sudden someone will walk by and this mob of people like, ah, it's Team 5 or whatever the name is. And then there's like, oh, mobbing around. I don't, isn't there a group called something 5? I don't know, maybe, whatever. It's like <laughs> this YouTube convention, it doesn't matter. It's like, but here we are and, and this, um, one of the like YouTube stars is kind of a traffics in the LGBT kind of community. And it's actually, I thought, felt like the whole conference was, was very much like promoting this agenda very strongly. And, and uh, he or she, I can't remember what, which way they had transi- transitioned, but she was, had all these like eh, thousand uh, kids out and, and pulling people up and say, hey, I've got this bucket and I'm going to teach you how to make up your own identity and don't let anyone tell you who you are and you can't, no one gets to tell you who you are except you, and I've got all these clothes, and she brings up this girl, and, and she comes, she's like, what do you want to be? You want to be a queen? You want to be whatever? And so she gives her this drag stuff, and this is, how you, uh, this is how you can become your own person, and like teaching them in the ways of, of defining um, kind of your life based on whatever you want, whatever you desire, and that's who you are, and don't let anyone else tell you. And, and so the thing is, is um, the, the problem with that is we don't, I, I don't think we really want to believe that is true because that's very dangerous. I mean, I have uh, this last year, have had this, uh, my wife and I have 
have counseled this young woman who struggles with anorexia, you know, and to her, like when she, she identifies as someone who's morbidly obese, uh, and yet she's starving herself to death. And, and we don't just say to her, well, that's, you be you, and that's, that's kind of, if that's what you believe about yourself, that's what's true. It's like, no, like, you are killing yourself. You're going to die if you continue to follow that logical progression to its conclusion. And Paul is saying, those desires are deceitful. Like, you can believe and want to do things that can hurt you. And those things, they're lies that you believe. And number two, he says, they separated you from the life of God. Those old present clothes, those lies that you believe separate you from life. John 10, 10, Jesus says, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. The sin looks so good, but it ends up separating you from all that's good and all that's beautiful. And it's, it, it can be sexual desire. It can be a lot of other desires. I was um, watching a Martin Luther King Day uh, documentary with my, my kids on, on MLK Day, and, and we were watching this, and my, my son was like, Dad, are, are there still people alive when this happened? I was like, oh, yeah, this wasn't that long ago. And it was like, he, he just saw these images, like these people are filled with hate and this idea of racial supremacy and, and those ideas, some of them still exist in our country. It's terrible, but, but those, those desires, whatever they are, they end up destroying our humanity and he goes on, because of the ignorance is in them due to the hardening of their hearts, having lost all sensitivity. This idea of this hardening of hearts, it's, it's uh, this idea of like when something gets fossilized, it, like, it, it just turns to stone. Something alive that becomes a stone. And he says, lost all, having lost all sensitivity. That's this idea that you stop feeling pain. So number one, these lies that you believe, two, they separate you from life, and three, they desensitize your conscience. You know, I talk to people who say, well, I, yeah, I did this with my boyfriend or girlfriend, uh, but I don't really feel bad about it. And I'm like, yeah, of course you don't feel bad about it. Because you've gotten to the place where you've compromised so much that you've stopped feeling pain that that is actually good pain that you should feel. Your soul becomes callous. One of our friends, um, she was uh, one of our neighbors. Uh, She got pregnant, fourth child. Um, and she found out uh, that the kidneys were slightly enlarged in her, in her baby. And so she went to Iowa City, um, where, where I live, and one of the main um, abortion clinics in the state is, is in Iowa City. And so she came, and she came to that place, and she was sitting in the waiting room, and she's like, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm sitting around, and I'm, I'm seeing all these young women, and, like, I just want to tell them, like, I'm not like you guys, like, I have to do this. And you know, she had so gotten herself to the place where she lost sensitivity. Like she had convinced herself that what she was doing was okay. And she wasn't like all these other people. And and pain is good if you think about it, right? Because it reminds us that something's not right. Like one of the worst things that can happen to you is you lose the ability to feel pain. So, he talks about this idea of this is what they have, verse 19, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. Okay, so, so he, he makes the transition to uh, sexual sin here. And in chapter 5, he goes on a, a long kind of uh, this riff about moral purity and why it's so important and that it's part of the, the new life. Um, and so, so what he says is that sexual sin 
uh, it desensitizes you and it, and it, it, it steals life away from you. And um, so I, I have a lot of memories up here in, in Minnesota. And one of my memories is that uh, we were at a friend's cabin and we're all standing out. It's like uh, near, it's like an hour north of the cities. And, and so we're at his cabin and we're standing around this grill. And we're probably, um, this is right before sophomore year of college. And so 1996. And so we're standing around this grill, and we can't get it going. Can't get the coals going. And so my friend busts out this little Folgers coffee can, and there's a little bit of gasoline in the coffee can. And they're like, I don't think we should throw gas on this grill, because, I mean, you know, I'm like, give me that. There were some girls standing around, and me and, like, a few of my friends and these girls, I'm give me that. I grab it from him. And I, you know, here's the grill. And I I throw the gas onto the grill. And there's just a little bit of gas. Before the gas even makes its, like, way halfway to the the grill, just (laughs) this, this fireball comes at me. I throw the can. And And all of a sudden, my leg is on fire. And I'm standing there. And and I have this moment of of panic where I just freeze. And I'm standing there. And I I remember having the thought, like, in that moment, like, oh, this is what it feels like to be on fire. (laughs) It was like, like, I am burning up right now. And, And I'm standing there. And my friend is like, get in the lake, you know. And so, um... I start running toward the lake. Now, it's probably from, like, this wall to that wall. And I'm running. Guys, I'm running. I'm on fire. I'm on fire. And I'm running. But see, here's the thing. Like, I've got shorts. We've just been boating. So I've got shorts on. Now, I'm running. And as I'm pulling my shorts down, guess what? Your strides are big. And all of a sudden, when when your shorts get down by your ankles, you're like... You know, and I'm on fire the whole time. And then, and then I see the lake, and I'm, I'm running like this, like this. And all of a sudden, there's a boat dolly between me and the, and the lake. And so now I've got to run full speed and do a long jump, right? I've got to do a long jump with my shorts around my ankles. I, I jump. I slam on the boat dolly. I think I broke my foot. I... I'm on fire. My friends are laughing their heads off. They're like, this is amazing. And this was before the time of like everyone has a phone, a camera. And because uh, I'm sure that would have been uh, super viral by now. And, and so there I am on fire. I crawl into the water and I just hear a And I, I'm like, oh, I don't want to look. And I, I see this big like chunk of skin like floating away and I I come out of the lake and my whole leg is burned and there's like parts of my skin hanging off and other parts that are gone and and I'm looking at this and and I'm I'm like oh no and I have this fear of of doctors and hospitals and so I'm like I kind of like touch it and I'm like guys I've got good news like it only hurts around the edges like it doesn't hurt here and it's like all of my nerve endings were burned off like that's why I couldn't feel anything there that I only felt around the edges and I'm like guys this is great like I can't feel anything we don't need to go to the hospital and I like started putting neosporin on it and and they're like wait a minute this is Something is not right. And they're, I'm like, no, 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 we're good, we're good. I can't feel anything. And let's just keep going. And they're like, uh, one of the girls like, my mom's a nurse. And so, like, we went over to her house, and she looked at it, and she's like, you are going to the hospital right now. And so they got me to the hospital, and blah, 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 skin grafts, all that stuff later. I had to go back to Omaha. They have a good burn unit there, and spent, like, missed a semester of school and all that. Okay, but here's my point. Okay, here's, here's what it is. Um, <laughs> This, this, has a, this has a really <laughs> profound point, okay? Here's what, here's what happens when you, when you, I mean, sexual sin, it, it's like 
it is like playing with fire, right? Because, I mean, fire, gas is good in a car, right? Fire is good in a fireplace. Uh, sex is awesome. It has a context, right? In marriage, it's great. In the fireplace, it's great. In the middle of the living room, not so great, right? Gas, fire, the whole thing, like, what just happened? What's sexist? <laughs> Dude, Corwin, what can we? <laughs> What's that, Drew? There were so many metaphors happening at one time. Wow. Yeah, I, I, thought I, was I thought I was still talking about fire. I, I, think I, was, I think it was fire. Wow, wow. Dude, let's, you know, Isaac, you want to come lead us in a song? It just, it just we'll kind of land the plane with that, just going out in a blaze of glory. Th guys, thanks for coming to the Salt Retreat. Like, man, this is amazing. Wow. That was awesome. Oh, good. Corwin, still, we still got that? Yeah, awesome. Wow. Mm. I was good. I was good. Powerful. Um, so, all right. So let's try, to, let's try to get back on the rails here. Here's, here's what, what Paul is saying, and, and this is this idea that guilt is to the soul what pain is to the body. Guilt is to the soul what pain is to the body. It's, it's good that you feel pain. And when you get yourself to a point, like you can get your heart to the point where it's like fossilized, as Paul says. It's hardened because you've so suppressed God. You've so compromised in your sin that you stop feeling pain. And he's like, that's what life without Christ is like. You just justify yourself. You harden your heart. And, and I just want to say here, because I think this is so important, you have to understand why it's so, why uh, sexual immorality is so harmful. Because here's what culture says. Sex, like what is the big deal? It's just a physical act. Like what's so wrong about it? Why do you turn it into this big spiritual thing and tell people like this is the forbidden fruit like what's the it's just a physical act but guys we know that's not true we know it's not just a physical act let me give you an example if I'm talking to someone who has been the victim of sexual assault if I've talked to somebody who's been sexually violated as a child I would never say to them, what's the big deal? Like, it's just like someone punched you in the face and it was like a physical, it just, just get over it, right? I mean, it, what's the big deal? Because what I know is when you are violated sexually, it wounds you in the deepest place possible. And you are not just a physical body. It's not just two bodies. We're talking about we have souls. We have a soul. And when we are wounded by sexual immorality, we are wounded in the deepest place possible. And you know what's interesting about my scar? I can, my scar, it healed I can show you my scar, and I can remember what it was like that semester of the skin grafts and the pain, and the, I mean, it's like the worst pain I think that any human could go through is, is the pain of a burn and, the, and, and, and all of that, but, but what I'm saying is I can tell you about that pain, and it, it doesn't make me emotional. It's just like it was a physical pain, right? It healed. I've got a scar. I can show you, but 
I have other scars deep in my soul related to sexual failure. And if I'm in a car with my family driving by a 40-second in Dodge, remembering some old girlfriend, I just want to cry over my own failure. And there's a big difference between physical pain and spiritual pain. And that's what Paul is saying here, is that sexual sin, it it leaves you hardened. It leaves you separated from God. And here's the last thing about it. It leaves you unsatisfied and yet craving more. Um, I think about um, in, in chapter 5, he, he says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. You know, wine, alcohol is another thing that, that has a way of numbing you and, and helping you to stop feeling pain. And some people, is, alcohol is kind of a way of medicating themselves, but, but you, it's, it's another thing. Like you guys are college, Right? And some of you already have been like experimenting with alcohol and, and drugs and stuff like that. I would just say to you, like, that's another thing that, that is going to lower your, um, your inhibitions. And uh, I would just encourage you that, that those, I, those things kind of all go together. I was in a fraternity, and, um, and this is just kind of a, a plug to, um, to not abuse alcohol, um, because Paul says in Ephesians 5, part of your new life in Christ is, is having self-control when it comes to this area. And, and he says, this is another thing that alcohol does. Like you, you get a little bit or drugs or whatever, and it just like makes you want more of it. And, and what happens is it lowers your ability to think and feel. And, and uh, I was um, in a fraternity and one of my good friends in a fraternity. And, and we had some, some friends that came down from college. Some of you guys go to Northwestern. I had friends that went to Northwestern. And, and they all came down to Iowa State to a, one of our frat parties. And all these like, like Christian girls came down in a car and they're coming to our frat party. And, and uh, at the time, like I, I was walking for, with Christ, really wanted to, to see Christ and, and live for him, even in the fraternity. And uh, there was this party and and actually what happened is um, two of my friends ended up hooking up. This girl and this guy, and, and they ended up, I, was, I went looking for them in the fraternity, and I'm like, oh, no. We had, we had these uh, rack rooms. I've, I don't know if you've heard of rack rooms, but in our fraternity where it was, um, all of the guys stayed on a, like in one huge bedroom. It was called open air room. So the windows would be open. It was like a fire hazard thing. So we all like stayed in one room. Like you, you uh, couldn't sleep in your own room. So, so there we are, rack rooms, and there's all these bunk beds. And there's like, they're like stacked three high, and there's blankets coming down. And, and I'm like, oh, no. Like I lost track of both of my friends. And I'm like, oh, no. They're in the rack room. And I remember this moment, I, I, I went in and I'm like, I can't let my two Christian friends uh, make like the mistake of their lives, you know, and, and regret. And, and so I go in there, I bust into the rack room and the sheets are like covering the bunk bed. I pull up the sheet and I am so angry at this point. Like these are two of my friends. I pull up the sheet and they're in bed and my friend looks at me and I look at him and I'm like I was so mad and I was a little bit self-righteous and so I, I, I was like I didn't know what to say to him and so I just said the Bible says don't get drunk on wine which leads to debauchery <laughs> and he looked at me with these red drunk eyes and he's like what's debauchery <laughs> And I didn't know. And so I was just like, this, like this is debauchery, you know. And I like ripped him out of bed. I'm like, 
throwing down on him. I'm so mad, you know, that my friends and, and, and just this idea. And, and you guys, that's what, that's what it does. Like, that's what alcohol does. And, and Paul's saying, guys, that's the old you. Like, don't, if you're a Christian, like, don't go down that path. If you have been compromising and just experimenting with that, I'm telling you, like, it will leave you unsatisfied. And yet, as Paul says in 19, you're going to want more. This is how sin works. Like, you, you see, here's, here comes this lie. It's like, oh, if you do that, that will make you happy. And, and boom, here comes this lie. And so you do it. Like, you have this thing. Like, if I do that, it's going to make me happy. And guess what? You do it, and guess what happens? It works. It makes you happy. And so what happens, though, after it works is it leaves you a little bit empty afterwards. It's like in the moment it was really fun. It was great. And then all of a sudden it leaves you a little bit empty. And so guess what? You do it again. But this time you have to go a little further to get more. And guess what? It works. But then it leaves you a little more empty. And so what you do is you begin to go down this path of, I I need more. And I do it again and again. And this is what C.S. Lewis says. Here's Satan's strategy. An ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure. That is the goal of Satan, to get a man's soul and give him nothing in return. And Paul is saying, that is what your old life was like. And insert the Cheetos, all right? So my, my son started getting into flaming Hot Cheetos, and, and so this is like, we have this tradition on movie night where we, we open a bag, we get a bag of flaming Hot Cheetos, and, and so have you ever had one of these? These are, these are amazing. Actually, like, I mean, here, you know, these are, like, so brilliant, whoever made these, because it's impossible to eat just one Cheeto, right? Like, one Cheeto does not satisfy you, so you got to have a second Cheeto, all right? And, like, pretty soon, you're just like, ma'am, that's really good. And you just keep eating Cheetos. Like, you're going to eat the whole bag in no time. And so that's essentially what sin is, right? Like the more I eat, and these are really good, but the more I eat, the more I have to keep eating because I can't stop, right? So, man, like one Cheeto left me unsatisfied. Now I need like three or four. And so this is what, this is like, imagine this is like sin, right? Like, wow, if I eat those, it'll be good. And they'll make me happy, and so I start eating them. And it works, as it's working right now. It's totally working. I'm happy. I'm happier now that I'm eating the Cheetos. But here's the problem. Like, over time, what's going to happen to me? I'm just continually indulging in Cheetos. Like, like, Lord, like one comedian is like, Lord, Bless this food to my body. Like, <laughs> turn this thing into a carrot, baby carrot on its way down, Lord. You know, what? what's not going to happen, right? Like, indulging in Cheetos is going to leave me, like, the more I eat, the more I crave, but the less satisfied I become. And you guys, that's what happens when you start to go down the path of insert your sin struggle, like, sexual immorality, like you do a little bit, and it leaves you less and less satisfied, and pretty soon you find yourself in a place that is dark and far away from God. And this statement, um, sin takes you further than you want to go, keeps you longer than you want to stay, and costs you more than you have to pay. That's what sin does. 
And into that, Paul says, that, however, verse 20, it's not the way of life you learned when you heard the word of Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Christ Jesus. You were taught with your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. And he says, you were made to be new in the attitude of your minds, to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. He's saying, guys, that's who you used to be. That's not you anymore. That's not who you are. Your past does not define you. You are a new person. You are created to be like God. And so verse 23, he says, be renewed. This is a, it's a, 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 like a present infinitive where it's the idea of continuous renewal, but it's passive. It's like God is the one doing it. Like you're, God is renewing you in the attitude of your minds. And this is a, this is a daily process. This isn't like a one-time, I became a Christian, and now I'm holy. It's like, what he's saying is this is a continual process of every day you throw off your old prison clothes and you say, that is not who I am. And you put on the new self, the new clothes created to be like God. It was funny, after um, I, was, I was sharing the story um, about the, the clothes and putting off the old clothes, and this guy in our church, he's, he became a Christian, and and he was like, he comes up to me, he's like, man, I really connected with that story because, like, I still have my prison clothes. I'm like, oh, really? He's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I, kept, I keep them just in case. Like, I might need them if I have to go back. I was like, Boone, throw them away, right? Like, don't plan on going back to prison. That's what I'm saying to you tonight. Listen, like, whatever it is, Throw it away. Like, that's not you. That's not who you are. I don't know what it is in your life. Maybe it's a, a boyfriend, a, a girlfriend. Maybe it's, uh, you know, uh, some struggle with internet pornography. Maybe it's uh, some, I, whatever, whatever it is that, that is in your life that you're kind of keeping in your life. And it's, it's actually separating you from God. He's saying, no, put off the old self. That's not who you are. And he says, be made new in the, in the attitude of your mind. And the Christian life, I, I think, is, is a battle of the mind. And, and it's a matter of waking up every day and remembering who you are in Christ. I was... Um, listening to this podcast and this comedian has this intense struggle with mental illness and uh, she would say depression, codependency. And she was, uh, she was talking to this, this guy that was interviewing her and she said, it's like this, my mind feels like this, this constant <clears throat> internal negative dialogue that's happening. And she used this example. She's like, it's like there's a sports commentator in my brain. And it's like I'm like living life with this sports commentator, like a play-by-play guy. He's like, and Mark Aaron walks into the room, and look, he's trying to be cool again. And, whoa, he's going to go talk to somebody. Good try. Okay, do some small talk. Whoa, just a matter of time before he says something stupid. Here he goes. Oh, he did it. There he is, looking stupid. Okay, now, where's, who's he going to talk to? And it's like this, you know, like as you're living your life, she's like, it's like I've got this commentator, like this running commentary in my mind. And she said the key is that I need to change that inner dialogue to be positive self-talk. And so I need to change it. I need a new sports commentator. And so I need someone like Mark. He walks into the room and he's the man, right? And he's confident and he's cool and he's brave and he's outgoing and he's not afraid to be the life of the party. And she's like, I just need to change those, that voice to be positive and have good self-talk. You're smart enough. You're strong enough. And doggone it, 
people like you. But here's the problem. Paul's saying, no, we're not just making up like a new internal dialogue. Like we are as Christians. Because it's like that new commentator, like is that just me talking to myself? What, What Paul's saying here is, listen, here's how Christians live our lives. We fill our minds with the truth of God. And we let God tell us who we are. We let God speak to us. And he says, Mark, I understand that you had a rough day as a dad, right? You kind of yelled at your kids, you turned on the TV, you watched the game, and you know, your kids wanted to play catch in the backyard, but you were focused on yourself. But you know what, Mark? That's not who you are. Like, I've called you to be a servant and to reflect Jesus. And you know what? I forgive you, and I've called you to a better life than a life of selfishness. And so, so tomorrow we're going to start over again. And, and I love you. I delight in you. And tomorrow is a new day. And, and so what you need to do is... Um, I'd encourage you to go talk to your kids and just apologize. And so I might go, hey, Cameron, I'm really sorry that I was selfish today. And, and that's not the man that I want to be, and that's not the man God's calling me to be. Will you please forgive me? You know, hug each other, and I go to bed. And it's like this, this, this constant, like, I allow God, the Holy Spirit is in us, and, and he, he speaks to us. Remember, he testifies, like, you're loved. You're my child. Like, the... That, that stuff that you used to do, that's not who you are. And what I'm telling you is, guys, you are saved. You've been saved by grace. If you know Jesus, you're saved by grace. If you know Jesus, you are loved more than you will ever know. And if you know Jesus, you are called to a new life, a life of transformation, of putting off those old thoughts, those old desires, like that is not you. And to put on the new self. And I just wanna, I just wonder, like tonight, I think, I think that, that God is going to, um, I think that God wants to help some of you to get past some, some maybe some guilt that you've been struggling with, some stuff that maybe, struggling with, I don't know if God could ever forgive me for fill in the blank. Or maybe God wants to release you from some, some bitterness that you have towards someone. Maybe it's someone that hurt you. And God wants to say to you, like that event that happened, like that doesn't define who you are because I love you and you're a new person. And that thing that happened, like that's, like you're my child, I love you. I think God wants to really like set some of you free tonight and remind you that, that you are saved, you are loved, and you are called to a new life in Christ. Let's pray together. Let's just um, create a little bit of space here. Um, just some quiet here before we, before we worship. Could you just close your eyes right now? Just close your eyes. Ephesians 5.1 says, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, 
and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. The greatest thing that you can bring to God tonight in worship is not your good behavior. It's not your performance. It's your need. The best thing you have to offer God tonight is your need for Him. And He wants to come and satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. Maybe you've been caught in sin, like stuck, and, and tonight he wants to release you and give you a new purpose, call you to a new identity. I just want to invite you as we sing this song, um, Lord, I need you, we're singing, and, and uh, I just want to invite you for a moment to, um, and Everyone's, you know, your eyes are closed. It's just like you and Jesus. Um, sometimes it helps to, to just do something like physical, like a physical expression of how, like our, what our soul is feeling. And, and one, one thing that, that Christians do, and you see this in the Bible, is they kind of holding out your hands to God. And I just want to invite you as we sing this, just in your attitude of sitting down and, and just imagining yourself before the invite you to hold out your hands to him, like palms out like you're going to receive something and and just like say Jesus my hands are empty all I have is my need I just need you invite him invite him to come and just tell him what you need from him to him about your fears or whatever you're anxious about. Whatever you're feeling guilty about. It's bitterness you've been holding on to. Just, just hold out your hands and say, Jesus.